The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so are you ready? Let's open our Bibles. Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to just look at verses 16 through 20. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for today. The, uh, just the worship has been so uh, blessed, so filled with your spirit, and we've enjoyed uh, worshiping you and thanking you and praising you um, and, and just being filled with the spirit, even as we sing, as we give you praise and glory and honor. And thank you for Dennis being here and Lonnie being here. Now we're ready to receive the word. The word of the Lord, your word filled with your power and with your presence and with your blessing, may we hear. May the church, may the bride, your bride hear what the Spirit would say to us today. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Okay, so um, we're going to read verses 16 through 20, and we're going to start with the first of your little, your outline to follow, the first Um, application point is a paradigm shift. (laughs) The sheep will attack the wolves. Now listen to this. Jesus says in verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, meaning the nations. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is an amazing and a wonderful Word. There's a, a paradigm shift that I want to talk about. You know what a paradigm shift is. And by the way, I want to mention, as I say right here in your notes, right now the world is experiencing winds of change. Not only in the United States of America, not only domestically, but I am telling you that there, there are winds of dramatic change that are happening around the world. Um, I, I like to say this. The prophet Daniel who had prophecy of both the first coming of the Messiah, and he also had prophecy for the second coming of the Messiah. And one of the famous stories in the book of Daniel is the story of the hand without a body and the handwriting on the wall. Remember that story? You've heard the expression. It's a world that even the world uses a biblical expression from a story out of one of the prophets, the handwriting on the wall. But as in that story, You know, the king saw it. He was petrified because it was supernatural, and God loves to do that. He supernaturally, on occasion, intervenes, and he lets his invisible self be seen, and the world freaks out for for obvious reasons. Everybody saw, including the king, the handwriting on the wall, but nobody knew what it meant. Only then they finally, what does that mean? What is that? Where did it come from? Who wrote it? They knew it was something supernatural, and then they said, there's a man of the Hebrews. His name is Daniel. He knows the secrets of God. Go to him. And Daniel came out, and Daniel said, O king, were it not 
for you, but here's what God has said. And he gave the meaning to what it says. I believe that we're living in similar times, that the handwriting is on the wall for the nations. The winds of big and great and mighty change, bigger, faster, and it's kind of dangerous. I don't know if you're aware of this. We're living in some pretty precarious times. Is anybody feeling me on that? Dangerous times in a way. But here's the exciting thing. God is in control. He's on the throne. Everything is moving. He's going according to plan, just as he predicted that it would. But here's the thing. While the world sees the handwriting on the wall, they don't know what it means, but God wants to reveal these things to us by his spirit. Those who have the spirit of God can interpret the handwriting on the wall. Um, So I hear stories uh, all over the world right now because politically, it's like if the, you know, a forest of trees and the trees represent the nation, it's like a gale force winds going and the trees are just getting blown around and their branches. And so they're being shaken. I don't know if you knew this, but God said in the last days, I will shake everything that can be shaken, will be shaken, so that only the things that cannot be shaken shall remain. And I'm telling you, the only place that's not shaking are the people who are standing on the rock called the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a rock that will not move. <laughs> but there's also winds of change in the, within the body of Christ. There is, out of all of the tragedies, and, and there are tragedy after tragedy is happening as the brokenness of the world uh, seeps to the surface. I want you to know, though you don't often hear it, but I I do. I I get people send me things from all over the world, radical stories. You hear of a tragedy. What you don't hear is what God does afterwards, the aftermath. He brings his servants in, and salvation happens. Radical transformations happen. Whole communities that were closed off Uh, to the Spirit of God, are open in a way that they never were before, and God is moving. God is moving in mighty ways. So now, I've told you before, Jesus, this is an interesting analogy, goes, I'm sending you guys out. Oh, wow, cool. I want you to do what I've been doing, what you've seen me do, I want you to do. Go teach to them and preach to them, and then I want you to bless them and pray for them and heal them and deliver them, and I'm going to be with you. But he says, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Now, at first, that doesn't sound uh, too inviting. Now, I have told, you know, most of the people that go here know that I, when I was uh, 14, 15 years of age, so this is for the new people, but uh, when I was 14, 15, I went to, I grew up in East County, uh, where Dennis is from, Agrigenian, uh, El Cajon, and I went to El Cajon Valley High School, and the reason I went there, because I was supposed to go to another high school nearby, but I went there because they had a program called and I was a future farmer of America. Is there any other farmers, or you got family, you got roots in the, in the earth and the soil fa- farming? I was very proud of that. My grandpa Bentley was a farmer, and so I thought, I, I want to be a you know, future farmer, and I, I just love that. And so I, I, you know, for my school project, I had to get a sheep, and I had to take care of a sheep. I named him Curly, and then I had to take him to uh, the Del Mar Fair and raise him and learn about him and all the, the things about him. I had no idea at the time when I was so young that God used that year of raising my lamb and my sheep to bring to the fair that one day God was going to call me to be a shepherd and the people of the church would be called a flock and I would be doing exactly what Jesus did. So you are like sheep. Now what I learned about sheep is that 
In the animal kingdom, basically every animal, they're small, God's given some kind of natural defense. Bears are big and strong. Uh, eagles can fly. Um, you know, squirrels can run up trees. Rabbits can run fast and deers. And some of them can burrow and dig down in the earth. But the sheep, the only defense that a sheep has is he can go like this. <laughs> That's it. I'm sure you would agree with me. How very intimidating. Basically, a little sheep by itself out in the forest is like a In-N-Out burger going through. You know, I'm ready to be eaten. So sheep have no defense. Ah, but they do. Not in themselves. But listen to this. The survival of a sheep is where you go as a sheep. Let me say this, sheep belong with the flock because where the flock of sheep is, there is the real protector and his name is the shepherd. Jesus is called the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And the wolves, they're not worried about the sheep, but man, you better believe they got their eyes on that guy with that crooked stick He's got another thing called a rod, and he, they learn, that as shepherd boys, they learn to throw that. It's literally a short, blunt, hard wood thing. They can nail a wolf between the eyes and kill it or a lion or whatever it may be, and they, got their, they won't go near the sheep as long as they're with the shepherd. So what do the wolves do? They wait until one sheep gets away from the flock where the shepherd is. So just know this, the strategy of the enemy, as long as you're with the flock, as long as you're with the family, the community, and the church, and the fellowship, and you got the shepherd with you, okay. The enemy's working, trying to figure out ways. How do I get them to, you know, get offended or walk away or get isolated or get alone? Ooh, then you become fair game. But here, it's interesting. Jesus turns this analogy around. He goes, now, he's talking about the flock. And he goes, I'm your shepherd. I am with you. And I, I can take out the wolf, the lion, the bear, whatever, so I'm sending you, here's the interesting thing. We see sheep sent forth among the wolves as if they are the attacking party. He's sending the sheep after the wolves and the predators of the world. Go flock because I'm with you. And wherever I am, I'll be with you. I'll protect you and I will smite the enemy and I will give you great glory. So it's kind of a cool little paradigm shift we're with the flock of God. We've got the great shepherd, his might and his power with us so we can go into our neighborhoods and communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, we seldom realize what has been done to the opposing party. When you get saved and when you have the Holy Spirit and you get born again, your eyes are open. You, you cannot explain it. People can't learn about it from a book. Uh, especially even the Bible, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know, people read it as a piece of literature, history, or whatever, and they study it, and, uh, but they don't really get it. It doesn't really speak to them because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes, divine revelation comes, your eyes are open, and you start seeing things. It, it's hard to describe until you have the Holy Spirit. There's more than what's going on to the physical eyes. There's a lot going on. There's an entire spiritual realm just beyond the veil of what's happening politically, economically on the earth. And there, there are many spirits. There's angels, loyal and faithful to God. There's also opposition, starting with Lucifer, called the devil, called the adversary. And he's got a bunch of minions 
called demons. And I am just flat out telling you, it's not make-believe, it's not mythology. There is a, not only humans can be bad and evil and wicked, but there is a supernatural source to evil. But a lot of times we don't realize, we Christians, we think, wow, the devil's so big and so powerful. And when we think of the book of Job, you know, the story of Job, poor guy, in the beginning, God's bragging about him and the devil's going, well, yeah, you blessed him so much, take away his blessings and he'll curse you. God says, you're on. Okay, you can do this, you can do that, but you can't. And so he kind of manages Job and the whole poor Job, all that he suffers. And we think of Job and the suffering of Job. But I want you to know that if we focus only on the suffering of Job and what Job lost, we fail to see the main point of the story. I believe that the main point of the story is to the end. You have to read the last couple of chapters of Job. Why? Because the devil lost big time to a human being, to a man, and his name was Job. Satan ended up discredited and humbled in front of his own demons. And what the devil values the most, his pride lay in shambles at the feet of a man of faith, a man named Job. That's what God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in mine. So Jesus teaches us when we go into the world, we must be wise and harmless. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep. I'm the shepherd. I'm with you. In the midst of wolves, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Why do we struggle so much uh, with the devil? In our families, all of us have loved ones that we wish knew the Lord. Why don't they? Because the devil is blinding the eyes of those who are lost to the truth of the gospel. If only those blinders and that fog, uh, that, that cloud could be taken away like cataracts taken out of the eye so that they could see. And there is a way. But I want you to read with me in your notes. I have this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Let's read this out loud together. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In other words, they're blinded. The enemy has, has put a, it's like a fog uh, it's like they're just kind of numb. They're just little mummies walking around. You know, they don't know what's really going on. And so we need to find a way to remove the blinders, to remove the darkness, because once the cloud and the film is taken off their eyes and they see the light of God and the glory of God and the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who, who can't fall in love with Jesus? Every time He opens His mouth, heaven comes out. Every time He touches someone, the kingdom of heaven comes. So Jesus is being honest with them. You're going to go like sheep among the wolves. Yes, they will reject it and there will be persecution. I'm sending you though without police, without an army escort, and yet I will be with you and you will be my army. Now, I want you to, this is very interesting. We're going to go back a little bit. Your next outline point here is that Jesus' heart for evangelism calls for us to speak peace over the lost. Look with me back at verse 12, when Jesus gave the original instructions. In verse 12, he says, and when you go into a household, so he's sending them out into their neighborhoods, he said, I want you to bring a greeting 
And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, what does it mean to be worthy? It doesn't mean that they have to be perfect. It just means that they're willing to receive you. Yes, we're, yeah, we'll listen. We're ready to hear what you have to say. He goes, then here's what I want you to bring to those homes. I want you to bring a word of peace. Do you remember that, uh, look, there are a lot of storms in life. There are storms in all of our lives. If, if we had time to sit down after church and I could sit down and talk to you and say, so you got a, somewhere in your life, some area of your life, you feel opposition, you feel like you're being resisted, you feel like it's kind of tough, uh, you know, you're, you're having to fight your way through, anywhere the enemy is coming, you'd probably, oh yeah. And you would know right where that area is. It's a storm. Do you remember the story of Jesus with the disciples, say they go onto the boat and um, they, Jesus falls asleep and the disciples are awake. And then a, a, this storm so fierce that these experienced fishermen say, we're going to go down and die. They'd seen sailors die in the Sea of Galilee in such storms. Jesus is asleep. So they finally go and wake him up. And when Jesus wakes up, he comes out. And what does he do to the storm? He points at it and he rebukes it. And he says, peace. <laughs> Be still. And immediately, everything calms down. You have power and authority of the storm. Now, what is the point of that? Then they get to the other side. What's on the other side? There's a man there uh, that is possessed of demons called legion. And Jesus goes and delivers him. Those stories are related to one another. I believe that the opposition was in some way being demonically used by the demons and the devil himself because Satan had his guy all bound up. He had a thousand demons or a legion of demons inside this one man who was bringing fear and darkness and havoc to the whole community. And Jesus is on his way to deliver him. So the enemy sent a storm. Know this, that when you have storms coming against you, God has a place of his supernatural power and deliverance and glory and victory and the kingdom of heaven is ready to explode on the other side of the storm. So we need to point to that storm and say, I know from whence you have come. I know what you are all about. I recognize this is not just normal earthly circumstances. This is satanic. It's, it's demonic. And I rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and be still. Amen. All right. So I want you to take your little finger, your little pointer. Everybody gets one of those. All right. And I want you to point forward like that. Don't point at me necessarily, but. <laughs> but you're pointing and I want you to have it in your mind's eye, whatever storm that's coming against you. And I want you to say as with as much authority as you can, peace be still. Ready? One, two, three. Peace be still. Use your power. Use your authority. We have been sent to bring peace to the storms. And we, th there are three reasons that we are to do this. So I want to go through these real quick. Jesus went and he proclaimed peace to the storm and a message of peace. We're to bring peace to our community. It is called the good news. The gospel means good news, but it, it has a phrase tied to it. It is called the gospel of peace. Everybody say peace. The, say the gospel of peace. 
Therefore, the first word out of our mouths when we want to share the good news that has transformed our lives to the unsaved in our neighborhoods is, my brother, I speak peace to you. My sister, I speak peace to you. My neighbor, I speak peace to you. Into your homes and into your schools and into the workplace and in the environment, we are to speak a word of peace. So the number one point is this. It's kind of obvious, but sometimes you need to state the obvious. We are not at war with the lost. Now, there are some Christians that act like that. And I bet if you ask the world, hey, you know those religious people, all of them, you know, uh, yeah. Are, are, are they against you? Oh, yeah. Would you, if you ever feel like they're at war with you? Uh-huh. But that's not what we're called to be. That's not we're, what we are about. I want to say that too often, the longer that we are Christians, you get saved and you're like, whoo, I'm out of the frying pan, man. I'm in church and I'm in Bible study and I listen to praise music and I'm just growing in the word and, and I've got, you know, fellowship and, and all of this. And we, we like to get away from the world for obvious reasons. But if we're not careful, we can develop a tendency to begin disliking sinners. Uh, and by the way, when you dislike sinners, it becomes very obvious to them. They feel what you inwardly, you don't have to say it, but when you have it and you, you kind of carry that kind of anger against them, it's very obvious to them. I want to say this, our attitudes, and we're all guilty of this, at some point or time in our walk with God, our attitudes do a tremendous disservice to Jesus, who while on the earth was glad to be known as the friend of sinners. Did you know that you're called to be the friend of sinners? Jesus' reputation, especially among the religious community, was he is a friend of sinners. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that your reputation? If it's not, then to that degree there's a gap between us and the one that we are modeling our lives after that we want to be like him. May I say that the goal of growing into fullness and maturity into the full image and the stature of Jesus Christ and character reflecting him is, let me be a man who is known as a friend of sinners. And that's what Jesus was. Let me add that our feelings toward the lost, which sometimes we disdain them, quite honestly, sometimes deservedly so. We disapprove of them. We don't like them, and this can be felt by them, and the enemy uses it to drive an even deeper wedge between them and God. Sometimes, instead of claiming God's promises for them or God's love for them uh, or for our neighbors, we spend our time in prayer telling God everything that is wrong with them. But God is saying, no, I want you to bring a word of love and bring a word of peace to them. Um, Vicky and I, you know, we've been thinking about this and, and trying to, you know, practically, how do we apply, you know, we're in the gospel, Jesus sending them out into their neighborhood. So we literally started walking around our neighborhood and we're praying. And some of the people we know, you know, there's some people, you know, it's like, are they ever home? Where, where do they go? What do they do? Every once in a while you see a little, and then they're back, they're gone. 
And then there's a few that are out, you know, and they're very friendly. They want to talk. You get to know them. And you see the situations in young couples, and they got some kids. And you've got singles that are over here. And there's some apartments and all different kinds of things that are going on. But we walked around and we prayed, trying to just follow what Jesus said. Lord, pray a blessing on that home and peace in that home. And we pray that the favor of God would come upon that home. And as we walked, you know, there's just two of us. And we're walking in our neighborhood. As we walked around, it is kind of like a Joshua and Caleb. We're saying, Lord, anoint our feet. And we bring the anointing of the presence of the Holy Spirit all down this block and all down this one and around it into every home. Peace on these homes. Peace to these poor people. And many of them that don't know and they're struggling and they're getting beat up, but they don't know who's the source of it and they're fighting with one another. So it's very powerful that we can bring that. Uh, oftentimes, though, that's not our attitude, and sometimes we go, wow, yeah, I know there's an unwed mother in that house over there. She's such a bad example to all our kids, and then there's a couple over here. We hear them at night. They fight. They apparently got the windows open, and they're yelling, and you know where they're coming from, and then there's a teenager, teenager down the road. You know, he's on drugs, and you're saying, man, Lord, all these sinners around here. Lord, bring an angel. Protect us from them. Bring fire down from heaven. Go get them, God. <laughs> you ever feel like that? Get them. That ruining neighborhood. That gummit, I want to get them guys. So, but that, you know, there were two disciples with Jesus. He's doing the supernatural. And Israel, the whole nation was sinful. They were rebellious against God. That's why God put them under the boot of the Roman Empire for their rebellion and their parents. They needed to repent. So Jesus starts doing healings, miracles, delivering people. And the next thing you know, James and John get an idea. They think they're inspired. Lord, whoo, man, you are greater than all the prophets before you. Shall we call fire down from heaven? Smoke one of them little evil, wicked towns. And that'll really get their attention. They call, you want us to call fire down from heaven? That's sometimes what we think as believers. Man, Lord, you want us to bring fire from heaven? Jesus, how did he respond? He looked at them and he stepped back. And he said, you do not know what spirit you are of, but that is not the spirit of the Father. That is not the Holy Spirit. And then it says Jesus rebuked them. The church is not called to start fires to burn up the bad people that are on the earth. Jesus is saying, I want, look, I love them. I love them, and I want to bring them the peace of heaven. So I want you to look at number two. We are a kingdom of priests. The Bible says it's not just pastors, ministers, you know, evangelists, um, you know, that, that are supposed to be in this business. It's a royal priesthood. We're all the priesthood of all believers. We're all called to be priests. Now, my main job as the pastor of our local fellowship congregation at Maranatha Chapel is to bless you. Every time you come here, that's my main job, is to speak a word of peace over you and to speak a word of blessing over you and to be filled with the Spirit to encourage you that you will grow in the Lord. How many of you enjoy that? You like that? Yeah. That's my main job is to bless you. Well, guess what? Now I pass on to you the baton. Your main job when you go to your home is to bless your home, to bless your spouse, to bless your children, to bless your home, to bless your neighborhood, to bless your schools. Speak a word of blessing. Speak a word of 
peace. Yeah, there's storms there, but you have the power and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ to pronounce peace and to rebuke the spirit of the enemy that is trying to tear everybody down. If we began speaking peace and blessing over our neighbors, neighbors, we will stop cursing them. Too often, we don't realize. You know, we're just saying stuff. Uh, but when we say, man, you know what? That guy across the street's a drunk, and he's going to die of cirrhosis of the liver. You just cursed him. Man, those people over there, I don't know what's going on at home, but they are a nuisance. That'd be, you know, good riddance. You're cursing them. And in many ways, the church feels that's their job. It's to sit on the front porch. It's called the Pharisees Club. You rock back and forth and judge everybody in the neighborhood. But that is not what we are called to do. You are the priest of your home. Therefore, bless it. You are the priest of your neighborhood. Speak peace into your neighborhood. And let me tell you something. Even when you pray, just you, your spouse, or in a small group or whatever, you walk around and you pray for peace and you speak peace, it goes into the atmosphere of your home. It changes the atmosphere of your neighborhood. It is felt. And I'll tell you who sees it and knows it. The angels of God delight when the children of God come into alignment with their purpose and the will of God to bring blessing. The Lord sends his angels to say, to perform his word. Because God, it's a gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace. We, because of what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, have the power and authority to bring peace to our neighborhood. And when you speak that peace and pray that peace into that environment and community, it takes the fog away. It removes the dark cloud. It takes away the cataracts, and they start seeing a light. They will feel it even though they don't hear it verbally from you. Our prayers make a difference, and our blessings make a difference. So, I want to give you uh, this blessing, Numbers chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And here it is. This, if, if, you know, I want you to have this, uh, verse, these verses underlined in your Bible, highlighted in your Bible. Every child of God, if you're a week old in the Lord, you need to know these verses. This is what the ancient priests of Israel prophesied and proclaimed and blessed the people of the nation of Israel. But now it's given to us, the church. We are all priests that are given the very word of the Lord to bring blessing to our neighbors. All right? So let's read it out loud. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All right? I love to say that and, and, and give it to you. But here's what I want you to do. We're going to practice so I want you to turn to your neighbor, somebody to your left or your right, but look at each other. Look at each other. I'm going to lead you in this prayer, and I want you to speak it, and I want you to say it with meaning and with feeling uh, and with passion. And, the, and this is going to release the, the blessing of the Lord even here among us right now. This is what we're to be practicing and doing. So I'll say it phrase by phrase. You repeat it and say it to your neighbor right there. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Does that feel good? It feels good to be blessed and receive a blessing, but it's also really exciting to give a blessing. Every dad, bless your family. Every mom, bless your family. Every young man, bless your friends. Every young woman, bring blessing. We are to have words of blessing. Let us go into our neighborhoods and pray the gospel of peace over them in the name of the Lord. Number three, our prayers of blessing help lift the darkness to see the love of God. I want you to look at this um, scripture in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. As we begin blessing people, something supernaturally begins to happen in the environment wherever you're speaking that blessing and prophesying peace and the good news into. So Acts chapter 26, verse 18, let's read it out loud. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So as you begin prophesying and speaking peace, it, it brings the light of the love of God, which delivers them from the power of Satan. He takes away the blinders that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Then they're finally growing in the Lord. Let me put it to you this way. I think that the church ha has often gotten the cart before the horse. We're going backwards. At, we're trying to be like Jesus and we're trying to do the right thing, but we're kind of doing it backwards. And here's what, you know, Jesus, when he went out, it's almost like if Jesus had followed what we do, what he would have done is to say, okay, I'm going to preach to you, and you're all messing up, and, and you're all, you know, totally blowing it, and so, uh, look, you guys come over here, and you need to, to repent, and, and then everybody that repents and gets right with, you know, with the Father and everything, okay, all of you, okay, great. Now, all of you come over here now and form a line, and then now I'll start blessing you, now I'll start healing you, now I'll start delivering you, and I'll start blessing you over here. Is that what Jesus did? No. He did the exact 180 degree opposite of that. Before they believed, before they repented, before they did anything, he touched them. He blessed them. He loved them. He gave them the word. He spoke peace to them. And he healed them, whether they believed or not. He delivered them and then warned them. And then they would hear the message and become believers and followers. There's, you know, an interesting book. It's uh, Paul's theological tract in the Bible. It's called the Book of Romans. It's a great book. But do you know what it says in Paul? Man, that guy was a genius and anointed uh, uh, Jewish scholar who got it, a Pharisee who became a lover of God. And here's what he said. It is the goodness of God that leads to what? Repentance. God is good to those who don't deserve it. God sends the sun. Look, the sun is shining today. Is it only... Uh, son for the righteous, holy, good people, but it's also on the unrighteous as well. The rain comes down upon both. And I think we have to be more like the Lord, more gracious, more loving. I want you to know this, um, because the book of Proverbs says that blessing and life is in the tongue, either blessing or cursing. Life and death are in the tongue. So we've got to be careful, because blessings are more powerful than curses. In fact, if you have a pen or pencil, write that phrase down. Blessings 
which is what we're called to do as priests, are more powerful than curses. Why? Because every curse can be broken. Every time God blesses, He breaks curses. In eternity, a hand of blessings always beats a hand of curses. Every single time, the atmosphere of blessing dissolves and destroys and breaks down the enemy's lies and strongholds. That's why the truth will set you free. The heart of God for the lost is that He loves them and He yearns for them. Jesus said, I'm a shepherd. If I got a flock of sheep and I got 99, but one of them is lost, I'm leaving the 99 and I'm going to go look for the one that is lost. He said, disciples, don't you get it? Don't you know? That's why I left heaven. That's why I came to the earth. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Just deliver them. They don't know. They don't see. They're blinded. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to take away the clouds. They're going to see the light of my Father. They're going to feel the heart of love, and it will melt them. My goodness shall lead them to repentance. And I want to just end by saying this, rather than being an advocate for them and a lawyer for the defense for the sinners around us, which is what we should be as Jesus is for us, instead many times uh, believers become a witness for the prosecution. And we are telling what is wrong with them and accusing them. Did you know that in Revelation 12, The prosecuting attorney is none other than Satan himself. So if you are going around cursing everybody that's messed up, you have just joined the team prosecution. You're on the devil's side. Jesus is the advocate for those who are on the defense. And his first client is you and me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many are glad you got Jesus as your lawyer? I always say, if you're in trouble legally, get a good Jewish lawyer. I highly recommend Jesus of Nazareth. He's the best lawyer. And when God brings accusation against you, Jesus stands up, and I'm telling you inside information. We, we have inside information at the great court that will come from before God and the great white throne judgment. Our lawyer, our defense attorney, Jesus, when he comes up to the judge, he calls the judge dad. And he says, I, I love them, and I bless them, and I paid for them. Their debt has been canceled. Father says, case closed. And he declares us righteous for all of eternity, not for our own deeds, but for what God has done for us and through us. That's the good news of peace that we are to share with the lost in the world. It will take away their blinders. It will supernaturally open their eyes. We're called to bless them and to love them, and God will deliver them, and He will bring them in a great revival. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.